Acts chapter 16. Have you ever had the experience where uh, God seems to be leading you down a particular path? You're excited about this path. You're planning for this path. You're dreaming about what's in store in this particular path. And all of a sudden, God closes the door. He slams the door shut, and you find yourself a little lost. Maybe it's a a promotion or a, a new job you're gearing up for. Uh, maybe it's a dating relationship, and you, man, you think, this is going to work out. It's going to work out for the long haul. Maybe it's a new house that you're going after. Now, as Christians, what often colors our thinking isn't just selfish gain, but hopefully God's purposes, right? And so we want to proclaim Christ in that new job or in that new neighborhood or at that new college that, again, we think God is leading us towards, Maybe that's even our main motivation for walking down that particular path. We want to love people. We want to share Christ with them. Everything is lining up. It all makes perfect sense in our heads. But then God shuts the door. How do we handle these kinds of situations? Well, sometimes not very well. Toddlers are famous for not taking closed doors well. My, I tell my two-and-a-half-year-old Emma, no, and we've got two options coming on her. One, she's going to be uh, defiant and angry, and she's going to demand her own way and want to push through that closed door, or she's going to want to run away and pout and isolate herself in some corner somewhere. And that's kind of sometimes how we respond, too. Sometimes we act like spiritual toddlers. Now, one, temp- one temptation we have is to become aggressive when we encounter closed doors. You know, we, we bang on the door. We, we try to force our way in. We, we try to push our way into that closed door. We manipulate the situation a little bit. We tell ourselves, hey, maybe God's going to change his mind. So we openly defy God. You know, he, he's shown us clearly that's not for you. That's, that path is not for you. There we are, banging away at the door. Another temptation in these situations is kind of the opposite. We want to give up. So we encounter these closed doors and we throw in the towel. We, we go backwards. We sit on our hands. We become discouraged, even paralyzed. We don't move through the door. We don't try to push our way through the door, but we're also not moving anywhere at all. Maybe God's forgotten me. Maybe God's abandoned me. Maybe he's got nothing good in store for me. Maybe he's not capable of fixing this precarious situation. And so we distrust God's goodness and his power in our lives, either by pounding on that door or by throwing in the towel. But you'll notice in our passage here in Acts chapter 16 that Paul does not handle closed doors like this. So let's look at this passage Acts chapter 16, again, uh, page 1096 in your pew Bible. Uh, A few weeks ago, Dave Como, he preached an excellent sermon on Acts 14 where he challenged us to rethink what is an open door look like. Uh, One of the, uh, I think his main point in that message was sometimes an open door leads down a difficult path. What I want to do with our time this morning is I want to challenge us to rethink what a closed door looks like. 
How do we handle closed doors? How do we respond when God closes doors in our lives? Okay, let's read now Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Uh, would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we want to humble ourselves before your word We pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see wonderful things from this passage, Father. Help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So we see kind of two movements in this passage, two vignettes in this passage. Verses 6 through 10, we see uh, the first movement, which kind of highlights open doors. The second movement, verses 11 through 15, we see an open heart. Now, this first section in this story isn't just a travelogue. It's actually about God guiding Paul and his companions to Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Now, they were guided by the Spirit, and they got this vision, right? We see that. Now, is that our big takeaway today? When you encounter a closed door, wait for a vision. Is that the big takeaway? When you encounter a closed door, wait for the Spirit to speak to you, to give you words. Now, there's some truth in that statement, I think, but I don't think we've dug quite deep enough if we're going to leave it at that. What I think we're going to see when we dig into this passage a little bit more, and this is the main idea I want to convey to you, here it is, God is sovereign over those who bring the gospel and over those who hear the gospel. God is sovereign over those who bring the gospel and over those who hear the gospel. So let's look at each of these sections now, starting with verses 6 through 10. I want you to pull out your bulletins. You'll notice on the inside flap a little map. Paul's second missionary journey. Now keep your Bibles open. I want you to watch this. I want to help you see what's going on by tracing Paul's steps on this journey, okay? So first, these guys are traveling from Antioch and Pisidia. You know, it's kind of in the middle of the map. They're traveling west through the region of Phrygia, and they're heading towards Asia. That that was their desire, to preach the gospel in in Asia. 
But the Spirit said no. Right? That's our first closed door. So they hang a right. They decide to travel north towards Bithynia. They get towards Bithynia, and they're on that border. And you see, again, the Spirit says no. There's our second closed door. And so they had hang a left, and they head west across Mysia, landing in the coastal town of Troas. So that's what we see happening in the first few verses here, verses 6 through 8. Now, what does this tell us about Paul and his companions? Well, it tells us that they had a singular passion to preach the gospel where it had not been preached before. They had an unflinching commitment to take Jesus to new places with new people. Nothing could deter them from this mission. That's what they're convinced they should do. That's what their plan is. And until God says no or gives them a specific direction, they're going to work their way west towards Macedonia. But, of course, we see here that God does indeed intervene. He closes a couple doors. He changes their plans. And look how they respond. They willingly accepted and moved on. They didn't push their way through a closed door. They didn't give up and head back home. They kept going. You know, I think we give the devil too much credit with closed doors. As if he's responsible for them, as if he's working, uh, working them out to ruin us. But in this passage, we see that God ordains closed doors. And that means they're not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, they can be painful. Yes, they can be disappointing. Yes, they can be disorienting sometimes when, when we experience them, but they aren't necessarily bad. Closed doors are one step in the journey God has for us. They aren't a complete derailing of the path. You know, sometimes we treat closed doors like they are a, a dead-end street. And we got no place to go. Or like they're an impassable, massive wall. And the only option for us is to, to sit and wait for God to bulldoze through. Closed doors don't mean that we've missed out on God's good plans. Or that God doesn't know what to do with us. Or that God has abandoned us or forgotten about us. Closed doors are one step in the journey. It's maybe an unexpected step. Maybe it's a painful step, but it's one step nevertheless. So what happens when the group gets to Troas? Well, he gets a vision, right? Paul gets this vision. Look at verse 9 with me. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, Paul and his companions, they knew of only one way they could help. Look at verse 10. At the end of verse 10, they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. That was the only way they knew how to help, to preach the gospel. So this vision, it confirms the direction they were already heading in. It confirmed their thoughtfulness. It confirmed their conviction to preach Christ where he had not been preached before. And the vision clarified specifically the destination. It's going to be Macedonia. I want you to head to Macedonia. Notice Paul and his companions' example for us in this passage. What really stands out is their personal initiative. They had a plan and they followed through on it. They didn't wait around for the Spirit. They didn't wait around for a vision. They went forward with what they knew they were called to do 
which was simply to preach Christ. You know, sometimes we're paralyzed with indecision when we encounter a closed door, right? We don't know what to do. What do we do next? We're waiting for a sign or writing in the sky. Uh, we're contemplating throw, throwing out a fleece to test God or, uh, you know, flipping a coin or casting lots or playing Bible roulette with the, with the scriptures, you know, and hoping that God's going to give us a message. But Paul and his companions, they don't wait, they go. Until God intervenes, they're going. We don't need to wait for a Macedonian call, even though God may give us those now and then. So don't be afraid of taking personal initiative and making plans and going for it. God has given you his will in his word explicitly on the black and white issues, right? What about the gray issues in our lives? Well, you know, what job to take, who to marry, what college to go to. How do we make decisions there? Well, we apply wisdom in those situations, we pray, and then we do what we think is best. You know, it's like what one of my friends in college used to say. He said, um, delight yourself in the Lord and then do whatever you want. Delight yourself in the Lord and then do whatever you want. Now, that sounds really unspiritual to us, I know. But I think there's truth in that statement. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if, if his love is permeating your existence, if you've read Scripture and you've been filled with the Spirit and, and you're, you're looking at life through the, the lens of the Christian worldview, there's a sense in which you can trust God's work in your life and be okay with decisions that you make. Delight yourself in the Lord and then do whatever you want. Maybe that sounds dangerous, but you get the sense this is where Paul and his companions were at as they traveled. Now notice also what happens after Paul saw the vision. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now that word for concluding in the original language is a very interesting one. It, uh, it means literally rational reflection to draw a conclusion in the face of evidence. So notice who is doing the concluding. It's it's plural, right? We were doing the concluding. So Paul brings his vision to his comrades Timothy and Silas and apparently Luke, the the author of Acts, he joins them on this mission. And and Paul involves these guys in the decision-making process. You know, I think sometimes it's hard for us to make decisions with other people, with other Christians but even the, the, the great apostle Paul, right, he's got a unique authority. He's been commissioned by Jesus. He's seen Jesus. The apostle Paul sought out counsel in some way from his brothers. How much more should we? How much more should we seek out counsel as we experience closed doors and I'm trying to discern, okay, what's God's next steps? So how do we discern God's will after a closed door in our life? Well, first of all, we passionately pursue what God has called us to do, just like Paul. Those things are concrete and clear. They're found in this book. What do we do with the gray areas? Well, we use wisdom, we pray, we seek counsel from others, and they'll help us to fill in the gaps a little bit. And then we freely move forward, trusting that God's going to guide us along the way. He may give us a vision, that's true. He may speak to us directly through the Spirit in supernatural ways, but that's not what we're counting on to move forward. 
That's not the norm here. That's actually the exception. So what do we see in this first section? We see God is sovereign over those who bring the gospel. So we can trust him, right? We can trust him with closed doors. We can trust him with open doors. Even if those paths are difficult to transition from that one closed door path that you were so excited about to a new path. Now what we see in this next section in verses 11 through 15 is what the open door for Paul looks like. It looked like for Paul an open heart. So let's read these verses just to uh, refresh our memory a little bit. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here we see Paul and his companions' gospel ministry in Macedonia, starting in the city of Philippi. And we learn a little bit about that city in verse 12 from Luke's description, right? It's, it's a leading city in the Macedonian district, and it's a Roman colony. So Paul and his comrades, apparently they stayed a few days in this city, probably waiting for the Sabbath to happen so they could find a synagogue, which is typically where they would begin preaching the gospel. That was their pattern. Start with the Jews in the synagogue. But in this case, there's no synagogue to be found within the city. So there's no established Jewish presence within the city. So what did they do? They had to leave the city to find people who are interested in God. So outside the city, they found some women at a prayer meeting. Now, we learned some things about one of these women, Lydia. We learned that she is from the city of Theatira, which is in Asia. And the city of Theatira was known for its expensive purple dyes. And so Lydia, who was a seller of purple goods, she was likely wealthy. She's likely well off. We know from the, uh, how the passage ends that she owned a home. She probably had some servants and maybe some children. We also learn that Lydia was a worshiper of God. A worshiper of God. And that's kind of code in the book of Acts for a Gentile who sympathizes with the Jewish faith and worships, worships and prays to Israel's God. So we learn some things about Lydia. You know, it's interesting to think about Paul and his comrades as they're getting these spirit-led directions and, the, and this big vision of this Macedonian man. Anticipation's kind of building as we read that first section of this passage. Who are they going to find in Macedonia, right? Maybe they're going to find God working in the heart of Philippi's mayor. Maybe God's going to be working with the, the business elite or the most influential in Philippi. At the very least, God should be working in the synagogue with the Jewish people, right? That's what they've experienced in the past. But no, they didn't really find those things. Instead, they found a Gentile woman outside the city at a prayer meeting. This must have been so surprising to them. And yet, they faithfully 
preached Christ to her. You see, Paul wasn't tight-fisted on his interpretation of this vision. He didn't see these women and then move on because he was expecting a bigger splash or he's expecting men. He preached the gospel because he recognized God is working. And this is a good lesson for us too. You know, it's good to have a healthy skepticism of our own interpretations of God's plan for our lives. Now, people have been saying that I should do this. You know, I read a passage of Scripture the other day and uh, at, a, at a particular moment when I needed guidance, so it must mean that I, I should go down this path. Or all of these doors opened up and there was a clear pathway and it just seems like God wants me to do this. Well, maybe, maybe that's true, but not necessarily. Like Paul, let's be open to a different interpretation of our life circumstances. Let's make some plans. Absolutely, we've already talked about that. But let's be open-handed and not tight-fisted with those plans. Now, not only do we see here how God dignifies women, you know, women in the first century were kind of relegated to second-class status, and here we see how the gospel changes cultural expectations of women. It includes women, and it gives them a special place. That's a beautiful thing we see here. But we also see that God cares for the salvation of just one person. He's willing to do whatever it takes to orchestrate all sorts of things just to save one seemingly insignificant person. I mean, why transport these gifted missionaries, these powerful missionaries, all the way across modern-day Turkey and into Macedonia just to save Lydia? Yeah, that, that was exactly God's plan because he loves Lydia and because Lydia is one of his own. You know, in the Old Testament, God parted the Red Sea to save an entire nation. It looks like he's willing to part the Red Sea, so to speak, do whatever it takes just to save one person. How beautiful is that truth? How incredible is this truth? Maybe there's someone here today, and God's parting the Red Sea so that you will come to know Jesus. You know, probably the most pointed statement in this entire passage is at the end of verse 15. Do you see that sentence? Last sentence, verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We see after that in verse 15 that not only Lydia, but her entire household was baptized, which indicates that all of them had faith in Christ. They responded with faith. But that sentence there, man, that's a powerful sentence. God worked in her heart, causing her, Lydia, to understand and accept the gospel that she was hearing. Now, this tells us something about God's role in salvation. God is the the center of salvation. He not only opens doors, but he opens hearts to Jesus. And we don't have that ability, right? I don't have the ability to open up my own heart so that I will respond to Jesus in faith But as I'm going and I'm trying to take the message of Jesus to other people, I don't have the ability to change their hearts either. God does that work. It's his job. It's my job to preach Christ. Now, this is such a comforting truth, such a comforting truth. 
We're experiencing closed doors and open doors. We're moving towards people with the gospel. We're hoping to encounter someone who's ready to believe. But it's God who opens hearts. He not only opens doors, but he opens hearts. And that lifts a burden off of our shoulders. The burden of having to get our words just right. The burden of having to line up our theological arguments just right. The burden of having to have a perfect moral record before those who don't know Jesus. Those burdens are lifted off our shoulders. Because we don't need to perform perfectly in order for God to work in people's hearts. We faithfully tell people about Jesus and then we leave the results up to him. He opens hearts. And when that burden is lifted, here's the ironic thing. When that burden is lifted off our shoulders, it actually frees us up to be more bold, more articulate, more clear with the gospel. You know, some folks say, man, when God, reading a verse like this, if God is at work in such a way, well, that totally stifles our evangelistic efforts. Why should we evangelize? If God does this work of salvation, I think it does the exact opposite. It doesn't stifle. It unleashes a new boldness in us and a new freedom in us to speak about Jesus. Now, God opening up hearts also means we should look for open hearts. Where's God working? Where's God working? Now, open hearts look different from person to person, right? Sometimes we meet someone and they're immediately ready to hear the gospel. Their hearts are immediately open to to receive Christ like Lydia. And other times, maybe more often than not, it takes a long time for the open heart to kind of grow and develop. When I think of an open heart, I think of my friend Mike, uh, a friend from Michigan. He spent uh, three years at my church before he became a Christian. He was there every Sunday And during those three years, I noticed several things about his growing open heart. His desire for Christ went from simple interest to a growing affection, and then finally to this unbridled allegiance to Jesus. His interest in the Bible went from minor curiosity to a desire to read the Bible regularly, and then finally to this hunger for God's word. His sense of his own sin went from low-grade guilt to a greater sensitivity, and then finally to this conviction and contrition over his own sin in the face of God's holiness. His understanding of grace, you know that strange, bizarre, uncomfortable concept of Christian grace? It went from confusion to slight surprise And then finally to this overwhelming sense of, oh my gosh, God loves me. God loves me. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to perform. God accepts me on the basis of Jesus. Do you know folks like this? God's working. God's working in them. Do you know people like this? If you do, go after them with the gospel. Be bold because God is working. So God is sovereign over those who bring the gospel and he is sovereign over those who hear the gospel. And because of this, we can be confident, brothers and sisters, that God will help us, he will guide us, he will get us to the people that he wants to help, that he wants to save. 
When God opens a door, there's a good chance he's got an open heart behind it. In other words, where God is working, there will likely be conversion. It may not be mass conversion. It may not be who we expect. It may not be how we expect things to go. But when God opens a door, there's a good chance there's a heart there that he wants to work in. Have you ever heard of Jim Elliott, the missionary? Anybody heard of him, Jim Elliott? I'm glad. Okay, so this will be a review for you guys. Uh, incredible story. Those of you that don't know Jim Elliott, go home, Google him. You can read the extended version of the story. Let me just give you kind of cliff notes here. Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries who traveled to Ecuador to evangelize the Hurani Indians. They were a tribal people. And for several months, he and his four comrades, they, they built bridges with these people. They, um, they'd fly over the tribe. They'd drop food baskets. They would uh, speak friendly words over the loudspeaker. Um, and, you know, they even took up a couple of the uh, Hurani Indians in their, in their plane, which was, you know, just a riot for them. Uh, but then there was one day, January 8th, 1956, when they dropped by for their regularly scheduled visit, they park their plane, they get out of the plane, they start to walk, and they encounter 10 Hurani Indians, men from the tribe, and those Indians happen to be confused about these missionaries' intentions. So they got angry, and they speared these five missionaries to death. About eight years ago, when I was in Michigan, I walked into my church's uh, sanctuary, during our missions conference, and I met a man named Steve Saint. Steve Saint is Nate Saint's son, and Nate Saint was the pilot. He was one of those five missionaries. And Steve Saint, his son, told me the rest of the story. He told me about how Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, and Rachel Saint, Nate's wife, went back to those people, to that same tribe. And this time, they found open hearts. Many in the tribe would come to faith in Jesus over the course of months and years. And years later, Steve Saint, Nate Saint's son, returned to the village and he was able to meet the very man who killed his dad, who is now professing faith in Jesus. They became good friends. So listen, God did all of that. God was over all of that. He orchestrated all of that. God is sovereign over those who bring the gospel, even though that can be painful sometimes, and he is sovereign over those who hear the gospel. He closed those very, very painful doors of death. And he opened other doors for Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot and eventually for Steve Saint. And most importantly, he opened up the hearts of the very people that speared their husbands and fathers and loved ones. God did all of that for his glory and for the good of his gospel going to a new tribe. Maybe you've been banging on the door and defying God. God wants to redirect you and he wants to use you somewhere else. You know, there's a, there's a Macedonian man calling out for help somewhere, but you're not listening because you're banging on that closed door. You'd be so useful to your king, but he's got to refine you first. 
And so he's orchestrating circumstances in your life to get your attention, to refine you, to bring you back to him so that you will be ready for the open door that he's preparing for you. And if that's you, brothers and sisters, would you take a moment now to repent, to receive the grace that comes from the cross, the grace of forgiveness, the grace of renewal. Maybe you're not banging on the door. Maybe you've thrown in the towel. Maybe you're discouraged. You're wrestling with with whether God even wants to use you anywhere. You feel your sin. You feel your weakness. You feel, feel your inadequacies a little too closely. And maybe you don't believe that there's an open door of ministry for you anywhere. Well, let me encourage you, my friends. God will guide you to those he wants to help. It may not be the door you want. It may not be the open hearts you want to work with. But he's got something for you. He's given you his spirit. And through his spirit, he has equipped you. He has gifted you to make disciples on the south shore. He wants to use you on his mission. Of course, the question is where? So are you, are you seeking him? Are you praying? Are you submitting yourself to perhaps a new open door? You know, I was thinking about closed doors, obviously, a lot this past week. I was preparing this message, and I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of closed doors in the Bible. There's a lot of closed doors in the Bible. Esau, the the firstborn brother, wanted the inheritance and blessing from his father Isaac. God said, no. I'm going to give that inheritance, that blessing to Jacob, your brother. Moses, he wanted to go into the promised land. It's what he longed for for himself, for the nation of Israel. God said, no, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. I'm, I'm going to use Joshua to take my people into the promised land. The apostle Paul, over and over again, he encountered many closed doors in his life. This is just a couple of them. But you know, the, the greatest closed door ever experienced was the door that God the Father closed on his beloved son, Jesus. Think about the Maundy Thursday event. The Garden of Gethsemane, picture this with me. His disciples were supposed to be praying, but they're sleeping. So there he is, Jesus, all by himself. He's praying to his Father. He's feeling the weight of the world, in some ways, literally. And he's overwhelmed with the task that God has asked him to do. And he he asks his father, God, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. I don't want to walk down this path of physical torment. I don't want to walk down this path where I have to bear the wrath, wrath of God for sinners. I don't want to walk down this path where I have to endure separation from you, Father. But of course, there was a deafening silence from his father. His father said, no, no. You must die in this way. You must drink this cup of wrath. For sinners, there is no other path for you, Jesus. 
And it's because God closed that door for Jesus that he could open up another door of salvation for Macedonia, for Lydia, for you, and for me. Praise God. Maybe there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you're listening to this and you realize you're like the Macedonian man. You can't help yourself get to God. You need the Lord not only to open up your heart, but you need other people to help you understand the gospel. And this is all out of your control. But maybe he is opening up your heart, even this morning. Maybe this whole Sunday morning worship service is just for one person today, for one Lydia. You're out there somewhere. And if that's you, let me exhort you. Would you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of of your sins today? Don't delay. Let today be the day of your faith. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the work that your son Jesus did on our behalf. We're so grateful that he drank that cup of wrath down to the bottom. We're so grateful for his death and his resurrection for sinners like us. What a beautiful gospel this is. What incredible good news this is for you, for me. Father, we pray that you would equip us, Lord, to know how to walk through uh, this path that you've called us on. Lord, as we encounter closed doors, would you give us strength? Would you give us strength to not become discouraged? Would you give us strength to not bang on the door? Would you help us to see that this is all part of your plan? And Father, would you bring us to open hearts? Even this week, would you show us open hearts? Would you help us to see Would you help us to be faithful uh, to proclaim Christ to them? In Jesus' name, amen.